My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. We're continuing our journey today through chapter 16 and we're going to be picking up at verse 21. This is just after Peter has had the revelation of who Jesus is and Jesus has said to him, Peter, your name means little pebble. And you've just got a revelation of who I am. And the revelation you've got is a big rock. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church. That's what we go into verse 21 with. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples. From the time that Peter got the revelation, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Now, that would have actually come as quite a shock to the disciples because they have just fully understood that he's the Messiah. And as soon as they fully understand he's the Messiah, they start to understand that he's telling them that he's going to have to die because the last thing that they wanted to hear was that the Messiah, the one that they just got the revelation about, was going to have to suffer many things and be killed. But this was actually what was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 53, that he must die, that he uh, must, after his death, be raised on the third day. The suffering and the death of Jesus Christ was a must because of two great facts, man's sin and God's love. The two, two things, man's sin, God's love. While Jesus' death was the ultimate example of man's sin against God, it was also the most supreme expression of God's love. So Jesus took on all the sin of the world. So nobody could ever have as much sin as what Jesus took on, but nobody else could pay the price as much as Jesus did by being the ultimate sacrifice, which is the ultimate expression of love. And the the statement that, you know, when Jesus said, I must die, uh, was something that was Jesus understanding that he had to willingly submit to the Father's will about his own death. But there was something that would come after that, because they would have known what the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. They would have known what was written in Isaiah 53. The disciples were probably so shocked that Jesus said that he would be killed in Jerusalem that the the words, and be raised on the third day, we don't even know if it's sunk in. Uh, because a, an angel had to remind them in Luke 24. You, you remember he told you that he was going to you know, be raised again. Remember he told you that? Oh, oh I've totally forgot. No, just like us, disciples just like us, God tells us stuff so clearly, and then we're like, oh, did he say that? I don't, I don't remember him saying that. Did he say that? I, I, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Um, so let's move on to verse 22. Then Peter took Jesus aside. This is after Jesus said, listen, now that you get who I am, I need to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to raise again on the third day. Peter says, hey, uh, let's just go over here away from the other fellas. Uh, Took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Um, Yeah. 
Let's see how this is about to play out for Peter. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter had just a little bit too much boldness to start rebuking Jesus, probably on the back of him just being told, you're the champion, you get the revelation, you get the gold prize, and on your revelation, I'm going to build my church. So he's probably feeling a little puffed up up at this time. Uh, And he was confident enough to tell Jesus, hey, you've got it wrong. Son of God, the one I just told was the Messiah and God himself, you've got it wrong. Obviously, Peter's not thinking straight in this moment. And Peter, you know, really doesn't understand what's going on here. Um, The problem was, is that the reason that Jesus reacted so strongly to Peter was because what Peter was saying didn't line up with Scripture. Isaiah said he has to be killed, raised on the third day. Peter comes over and says, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The only person that would tell me the Scripture is wrong is Satan. And now this is this is where you know we have to we have to kind of break this down a little bit. When Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan," it's a very strong rebuke. It's entirely appropriate, uh, but understand that the same person was a messenger from God. God, not flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you. Okay, so he's a divine. He was a recipient of divine inspiration, and then moments later, he is a messenger of Satan. Jesus knew that there was a satanic purpose in discouraging Jesus from his ministry on the cross, and Jesus knew that he could not allow that to succeed. David Guzik, we can be sure that Peter was not aware that he spoke for Satan, just as a moment before he was not aware that he spoke for God. It is often much easier to be a tool of God or of the devil than we want to believe. We don't always understand that we're being used by one or the other. Jesus says to Peter, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Jesus exposed how Peter came to this satanic way of thinking. Okay, And I understand that that sounds strong and harsh, but any way of thinking that is contrary to the word of God and what the word of God says cannot come from God. Therefore, it must come from Satan. Uh, He didn't make a deliberate choice to reject God and then all of a sudden embrace Satan. That wasn't Peter's MO. He just let his mind settle on the things of man instead of the things of God, and Satan took advantage of it. That happens to men today. They try to reduce the Bible, the gospel, the promises of God down to things that make sense to them, and then they change the meaning of the word of God in order to make it fit. Well, the only person that does that is Satan. Peter is a perfect example of how you can have a very sincere heart, uh, but that coupled with flesh and mind and the, the mind of our own humanity and our thinking can lead to disaster. And that happens all the time. Very well-meaning, good, lovely, noble people have been the agents of Satan trying to do the thing that they think God wants them to do. And Peter's rebuke of Jesus is evidence of the poison that Jesus said was represented by the leaven in Matthew 16. And When you have your mind on the things of man, you're poisoned by the things of man. Peter only saw the Messiah as the embodiment of strength and power instead of the suffering servant who must die and would rise again. 
And because Peter couldn't seem to stomach the idea of a suffering Messiah, he rebuked Jesus. Okay, let's move on to verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone desires to come after me, this was a word spoken to the disciples and they genuinely wanted to come after Jesus. They genuinely wanted. But he says, you know, there's a little bit more than you think. <laughs> uh, I think it was bad enough that the disciples had to hear that Jesus had to suffer and for him to be rejected and for him to die on a cross. Now Jesus is telling them that they have to go through the same thing. Um, Everybody knew what Jesus meant when he said the cross. There was no misunderstanding when Jesus mentioned the word take up his cross. The cross wasn't about religious ceremonies. It wasn't about traditions. It was a way to execute people. Uh, David Guzik, in these 20 centuries after Jesus, we have done a pretty good job in sanitizing and ritualizing the cross. Yet Jesus said something much like this, walk down death row daily and follow me. Taking up your cross was not a journey, it is a one-way trip. And there is no return ticketing, and it never was meant to be a round trip. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Jesus made deny himself, the words deny himself, equal with take up his cross. And the two express the same idea. The cross is not about self-promotion or about self-affirmation. The person carrying the cross knows that they can't save themselves. Warren, Warren Wiersbe, denying self is not the same as self-denial. Catch that? Denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial when, for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities. But we deny ourselves when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. Human nature wants to indulge self, not deny self. Death to self is always terrible. And if we expect it to be pleasant or mild, then we're going to be disillusioned. Death to self is the radical command of the Christian life. It's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Well, if it's no longer I who lives, what happened to me? I died. I died to myself so that Christ can live in me. To take up your cross meant one thing. You were going to a certain death and your only hope was in the resurrection power. That's you and I. We are going to a certain death unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. And so we must place our hope in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So, um, let, let's go back a little bit. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. We have to follow Jesus, because I have to tie this in. You can't gain resurrection life 
without dying first, which is what I just talked about. And there's no point trying to gain the whole world because then you lose the opportunity for resurrection life. Jesus himself had the opportunity to gain the whole world when he was tempted by, by the devil in Luke chapter 4. But he found life in victory and, and victory in obedience. There are so many people who live this way and they live this way today even though they claim to be Christians and they think that they are genuinely happy. But giving our lives to Jesus is, is different from them being saved. Uh, giving our lives to Jesus means that we are living as an, a, a person who's centered on other people and not on ourselves. And that adds to our life. It doesn't not take away. So the ultimate gain is given when this day comes, okay, when the Son of Man glory comes with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works, okay. On that day is when we really will understand that to lose our life was to gain it. But if we don't do that, we will lose our soul. Which brings us then to one of the most interesting verses in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, this is a verse that is almost impossible to understand in English. There, there, there really isn't a way to understand what Jesus was saying if you only look at the English. What we have to do is we have to go back to the, the language that it was recorded in, which was Greek, and we have to go and look at the meanings of those words. We have to look at the grammar of those words so that we can understand what it is Jesus was saying, because otherwise these words are so perplexing. He, I'm, I'm saying to the disciples that some standing here shall, shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So people are like, well, what, what does that mean? So let's break it down. Remember, Jesus cannot lie. So he wasn't trying to trick them. So he can't do that. He's not evil. And he must tell the truth because he's Jesus. So what was he speaking? What he was speaking was a hypothetical truth. Now, the two key words to this particular verse, are the English word till, taste death till they see him, the son of man, and the word see, till they see. Those two words, till and see, are the key words for us understanding this verse. I have to take you on a little bit of a Greek journey here. So the word till is represented by a conjunction, which is a grammatical term for a Greek word by the name of hios. Now, that word combined with the word see, till they see, which is the Greek word idosin, which means to discern. You, you know when you say to somebody, you're having a conversation and you say, do you see what I mean? 
You're not asking them, do they see it physically? You're saying, do you understand what I mean? Okay, so couple that conjunction with the word till. Now, the word till is the subjunctive of the verb, which means a hypothesis. That's what it means. It's, it's, you know, when, sometimes when you say to somebody, well if, well, if I were you, I would do this. Well, obviously, you can't ever be them, so you wouldn't do it. It's a little bit like that. It's a hypothetical that you know can't happen. This is what Jesus was doing. He's standing a hypothetical that Jesus himself knew wasn't going to happen. But he couldn't tell them why. I'll explain why in a second. So the best way to read this would be to see the word, there are some here who shall not taste death. Were they to discern that the Son of Man will come in his kingdom. Um, think about this. Um, Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you would get it, and if the Jewish people would get who I am as the Messiah, then some of you who are standing here would not taste death. Now, Jesus knew that that wasn't going to happen. The disciples didn't know that Jesus was going to be rejected. Remember, this is not what we know hasn't played out yet. Jesus is just saying, now that you understand who I am, I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised again on the third day. The, the disciples are not putting together the fact that this means that the Jewish people are going to reject Jesus. Jesus is saying, if they don't reject me, then some of you would still be alive because then the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will come through uh, as I've been accepted. The church era and age would not have been necessary. But Jesus is saying to them, this is a hypothetical. Now, uh, I think that it's important for us to understand that there are mysteries that Jesus himself knew that we wouldn't be able to understand, which was exactly what he said to the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 12. And he said, I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them. You wouldn't be able to handle them. But when he, the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth. See, Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out in Acts chapter 2. Jesus knew that that was connected to him. Jesus knew the role that Paul and Peter would play in that. Jesus knew that that would be the start of the church era. Remember, Jesus said, upon you I'll build my church. He's not mentioned that before, and now he's mentioned it. See, Jesus is revealing the purposes of the church in Matthew chapter 16. It didn't start in Acts chapter 2. It started here. But Jesus knew that it was on something that he knew that was really going to happen, but the disciples couldn't bear to know right now. So he tells them the hypothetical. If you were to get it, then some of you who are standing here, you would see me coming back. He would basically die, be raised again, and then come back for the second coming weeks later. But that couldn't happen because he was rejected. And so the church era began, which we still find ourselves in now. And then Jesus is coming back for his church. There, there, are, there are so many parts of the mysteries of God that we do well to understand that we can't always make sense of. 
That's why Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, the things that have been revealed belong to us. The things that have not been revealed belong to God. And some things have not been revealed. There are some mysteries that have not been revealed yet. So we, we find ourselves in a situation where we make an observation today that there are mysteries. Understanding the Word of God is not bringing the Word of God down to a place where everything makes sense to us. It's where everything is accepted by us, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, we do, our well, we, we do well to, to rightly divide the Word of Truth. But we also do well to trust Jesus at His Word and to understand that He cannot lie and that he can only lead us into the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus represents the truth of his word. And that is what we do well to lean on. That is what we do well to stand on. And we, we have a position today where we can understand that Jesus always knows what we need. And he knows that we have the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth right now. That's what we needed. That's what we do need. And that's what we will need until Jesus comes back from his, for, for his church. At which time, that role of the Holy Spirit will end. And the Holy Spirit will have a new role after that. So, this is what we have. A lot to, to, to chew on. A lot of meat. And uh, maybe this is something you need to go back and watch over again and study it for yourselves and understand that just as the disciples sometimes really struggled with understanding what Jesus said, Peter still found himself in a position where he went from, you are the Christ, the Son, the Son of the living God, you are God himself, to them being an emissary of Satan a few verses later, to then being somebody who eventually, you know, we just saw him walk on water before. Then he's somebody who denies Jesus three times. Then he has the opportunity to be uh, the person who defends Jesus in the book of Acts and says, this is, don't you know who this person was? And that's the journey that you and I go on. We go on this, this journey and as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we can achieve what Peter achieved. We can achieve what the Apostle Paul achieved. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to do some dumb things. We're going to say some dumb things. We're going to say things that uh, we thought were right. But ultimately, we must keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's writing. Let him write the story. Don't you try and write the story. I'm not trying to write my story. I'm letting Jesus write it. I'm just trying to be obedient to him. Heavenly Father, allow us to have the fruit of your word uh, just produce so much in us, but allow us to digest this today and, and understand what you want to reveal to us individually as we watch this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.